Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you to an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank who paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Learn more about this amazing nonprofit organization at MidwestFoodBank.org. Morgan Tyree is a professional organizer, and she's my guest today. She's going to give us easy and applicable steps to implement, to declutter, and maintain all areas of our home. She also sheds light on why we might be resisting this process, and then she offers solutions that lead to freedom. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Morgan. Thank you so much. Will you just begin by telling us more about yourself? Yes. So my name is Morgan Tyree, and my family and I, we live in northern Colorado. I have three teenagers. We have one in college and one about to go, and then a freshman in high school. And I professionally am a professional organizer. That's my small business that I run. And then I've also um, written two books in the last couple of years. And then for fun, I teach fitness, which I started doing in college, and I've never stopped. So we're sort of an adventurous family. We've lived overseas, and we currently call Colorado home, and we're loving it here. Well, I can't wait to pick your brain as a professional organizer. And I would just first love to hear your vision. So why do you believe that the effort to organize and maintain a home is even worthwhile? I love that question. Well, I think there's so many reasons why there's benefits to being organized. I mean, first and foremost, I really believe God is a God of order. And I think when we have a sense of order in our lives, we can live more peacefully. And so um, the benefits are, you know, there's a lot of obvious ones, I feel like, as far as people can save time, they can minimize their stress, they can feel more structured in their days. And so the benefits are really far reaching. And I just think that you know, we can tend to sort of overcommit our lives and fill our lives with stuff. And it's important to be intentional and to really dial in where we want to most spend our time and energy. And so what are some of the most common obstacles that you've observed in your clients, the ones that maybe prevent them from enjoying a clean and clutter-free home? Yeah, I think there's a couple of main factors I see. The First is I think people can be overcommitted, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, but their schedules might be really full, which then minimizes their time to uh, maybe take care of some of the things within the home in the way they might want to. For other people, I see that there's also just a lot of excess they're having to manage. That could be on your schedule as well, but I'm specifically talking more about stuff. I think that as I've done my research and as I've seen a lot of homes, we just tend to accumulate much more than we than people did decades ago. And so we don't always recognize that extra stuff is requiring that extra energy. And so I think that whether it's time or your stuff, um, people are just, there's a sense of overwhelm when it gets to be too much. And so will you give us just a few solutions? Let's start with solutions for someone who's listening and they identify with being overcommitted in their time right now. 
Yes. So I think one of the best things you can do if you feel like your schedule is maxed out more than you'd like it to be is to do a self audit. And one, one tool I share is just, just going through and jotting down sort of where you're spending each hour of the day uh, and then looking back, because I think sometimes we don't realize where we're dividing our time necessarily. And so there can be some kind of aha moments if you actually jot it down. I, I equate it to like, if you keep a food journal, <laughs> you realize pretty quickly, oh, I didn't realize I was snacking on that or what have you. So I think doing a time audit or a schedule audit is a great starting place. And then also being a really good gatekeeper. And so when you're presented with new opportunities, whatever they may be, is to go slow with your response and practice saying no. I think sometimes it's really easy to say yes, just out of obligation or, you know, your intention might be good, but it's really important to weigh every decision carefully and really consider the cost of what that commitment will add to your schedule. Could you also provide some solutions for someone who has over accumulated goods or material items in their home, especially if they're not even aware of that at this point? Mm, yeah. Well, and I think that what I see a lot is people, they've adjusted to their stuff or their amount of things they have. But what I often see is people sort of get to a point where they sort of start to feel like the overwhelm has set in. So if they're, whether or not they're aware, but if they're feeling like they want to address excess or clutter, um, the best thing you can do is to start small and to really work kind of section by section. So I think what we tend to want to do is like, I want to get the whole house organized. Like I'm tired of this, but that's overwhelming because typically the house didn't get overwhelmed or filled with clutter in, you know, a week or two. It, it probably took a lot, a lot more time than that. And so breaking things down and what I do with all my clients is we come up with a list of priorities and then we really work down the list intentionally because I, I tend to see a lot of zigzagging and, and that's where people get frustrated because they feel like they've sort of touched all these different spaces, but nothing's really finished. And that can almost just add to the overwhelm. So breaking things down, starting small and being very realistic and assuming that things will take probably longer than you'd like them to, to take, unfortunately. Goodness, that is so true. I wonder what the statistics are, but I would guess that it almost takes us double the amount of time we expect for each task. Oh, yeah, I think for sure. And that's one thing that I talk about even with time management in general for just running our lives. If we all create a little more margin on how long things might take, it creates a little more sense of peace because you allow some wiggle room for what I call just the mess of life that is always <laughs> creeping in, whether we want it to or not. Oh, that is so true. And that margin is a worthwhile pursuit because margin really does create the opportunity for us to be kinder. Oh, yes, for sure. So with that clutter, I just want to stay there for one more moment. Would you recommend going through the first priority on our list and getting rid of things first? Or would it be better to maybe take a season off of shopping and accumulating more? Well, I probably would say both. <laughs> I was going to share one of my main tips that I am typically sharing with people is the best way to stay organized is to be an intentional shopper. Because for many of us, we probably do a lot of the shopping for our homes, whether it's groceries or clothes or fill in the blank, sort of gatekeeper role. If we are more intentional with how we shop and what we bring home, that's where it all 
starts and stops is, is by all that we bring in. And then, yes, if you need to do decluttering, absolutely go in in the space. And um, for a lot of people, decluttering can be hard depending on what you're decluttering. And I really recommend having somebody there as a sounding board and hopefully someone that has a little more neutrality and that can help you sort of ask the hard questions, but also be really honest with you. Like, hey, that sweater you've never worn and it doesn't look good on you. So <laughs> get rid of it. Or whatever. <laughs> you know, that helps you to really be a little more I sometimes say ruthless and not that I want it to be a negative thing, but that we're, that we're really being honest with like, do I really need to keep whatever you're uh, assessing? I think that makes sense and that it will require us to probably be relentless to make this system maintainable. Yes, for sure. So through your experience with your clients, are there any signs that you notice and it alerts you that you clearly know this client is motivated and ready for change. Yeah. What's interesting is typically when I receive an incoming call or an email, I feel like most of my clients have sort of gotten to a place where they maybe hit that wall where they're like, like Dave Ramsey says, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because they just feel like they're almost suffocating or they just feel like they don't want to live that way. And I'm talking in a little of an extreme, but they get up, they get to a point where they're really ready to make a change, which is great because it's something you really can't force on somebody necessarily. They, there has to be that willingness and that some of that internal motivation to really move things forward. So I think that's typically what really motivates them to reach out is, is maybe they've tried on their own or they haven't been able to find the time. And so they seek outside help. And I really want to encourage people that whatever it is you need to work on your life, seeking an outside person can be really beneficial because what an outside person provides is neutrality and accountability, which are two things that I think can really help all of us with what we want to work on. And you mentioned Dave Ramsey. So taking those money principles and applying them to organizing, have you found it to be true when a client experiences a small win in their decluttering process, it then snowballs in momentum to then motivate them to tackle even bigger projects? Yes. And I actually will kind of refer to the snowball effect. And that's why I was mentioning earlier, starting small like Dave Ramsey suggests, you know, paying, paying something smaller off first, there's something that, that helps our motivation and our discipline to start seeing progress. And so it is really exciting for me. I will work with a client on one of the priority projects, and then they, a lot of times, will end up going on to a different project or, you know, kind of spreading out because that motivation starts to build. And I think once you start to feel results of having a cleaner space or having things more tidy or just feeling that sense of peace in your home, you want more of it. And so it really does definitely work like a snowball effect. Well, then with that last question in mind, what are a few examples of low-hanging fruit that we could implement to have at least one small win in this area? Yeah, you know, one thing I always say is is to start with one drawer, one cupboard. I talk about like a 10 or 15 minute window of time. And I really encourage people to consider using a timer if that seems positive to you. Because I think in this day and age, we can tend to be constantly distracted. And so if you can turn on your do not disturb or you know, maybe listen to music on the side. And like I said, set a timer. But if you really just set an intention to work on one, I'll just say drawer for the example, it's amazing how one, it will probably go pretty quickly, assuming it's not like a massive junk drawer or something. But you can, and, and 
less than 15 minutes really see a nice progression and feel like, oh, you know, there's something freeing about getting rid of things that need to be recycled or finding things you didn't know where they were and then setting up a system in that drawer so then it can be better maintained and more usable for the whole family. I can vouch for that. I feel like it's therapeutic to go through that process because you're a professional organizer. I want to hear your expertise in various parts of the home. So maybe if somebody's setting that timer or they're listening to this right now and motivated to get started, where can we begin with organizing our pantry? Yes, pantries are popular. And I was just talking to a client uh, last week that, you know, pantries are one of the harder spaces because they're heavily used typically. Usually all family members are in and out of there. And so if someone wants to start and make their pantry more organized and more functional, what I would suggest is that is probably going to be a space. It will depend on the size, of course, but it will probably be a space where you'll want to carve out a nice amount of time. And again, maybe grab someone to help you do it too, because it will take you probably longer than you might think. And you'll have to pull everything out if you're trying to do a real overhaul. But a couple tips I have for a pantry is to definitely add some containment. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to decant and put things in the containers. We see a lot of that, the pretty organizing pictures, but I want people to really examine their lifestyle and their family's lifestyle and make sure that if they're going to decant things, that they will have the time to keep up with that because that's going to take more maintenance than just putting the, the bag of flour on the shelf. But some simple containment like baskets or bins to help separate. So for example, if you have kids in the home, it's real easy to have a bin of some kind. And then when you come home from shopping and you put all the granola bars in there. And so in other words, recycling the cardboard and opening all that up, it's going to allow you to know your inventory levels better because you don't, you're not looking at a box. You're looking at the actual bin. They're all loose. It makes it easier for kids to grab their, their snack things. So those are a couple, a couple tips are to add containment. And then the other tip I would really highlight is that what's most important to a pantry, you can get it set up all pretty, but you will have to be committed to ongoing maintenance. And so one thing I encourage, like I shop weekly for our groceries is I really build in, again, the word margin. I build in time to do a reset of the pantry, which doesn't take me very long because I really do it almost weekly. But that's the key part is you can set it up. But if there's that sort of lack of maintenance, it won't necessarily stay there because of all the all the people coming and going. And my last thing I was going to mention is you can definitely label. Labels can be helpful, but I encourage people to not label too much because sometimes categories can change. Like my kids will go through phases where they like something and then they don't, you know, so if you, you want to keep things a little more fluid just so that again, the maintenance is manageable. And now a brief message from our sponsor. This sponsorship message is unique because an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Midwest Food Bank works to alleviate hunger and poverty throughout the world by gathering food donations and distributing them to nonprofit agencies and disaster sites. Over $30 million worth of food is distributed to over 2,000 nonprofit organizations each month over 30% of which was produce or protein. In 2020, over 186,000 family food boxes were distributed to disaster victims. Their volunteers are fundamental to the success of their organization. They collect, sort, pack, and distribute food and disaster relief donations, and remind us every day that Midwest Food Bank's mission could not be achieved without them. 
Thanks to the generosity of donors, the valuable work of volunteers, and most importantly, the blessings of God, Midwest Food Bank shares the blessings worldwide. More than $360 million worth of food was distributed this past year. This is done from their 10 United States and two international locations. To learn more about Midwest Food Bank, to make a donation, or to see what volunteer opportunities are available, please visit them at midwestfoodbank.org. You do mention that the pantry is accessible to all members of the family. So do you have any tips for how we can ensure this maintenance would happen with every member in our home? <laughs> yeah, and that's where actually labels can be helpful depending on ages in your home and, and you know your, your kids' ability to read and all that. So labels can help as far as things being put back. And containment really helps too because, for example, in my fridge, I put a clear turntable on one of the shelves, so like the pickle jars and the different salsa jars can all go in there. And I don't care, you know, how they're put in there. But the nice thing is, is that it sort of is naturally keeping that shelf more organized because people can just follow the system. So make your systems easy to follow. And then I think communication goes a long way. So if you've set up a new system, communicate and then, you know, talk about kind of how you'd like everyone to, to pitch in and help with the system. Um, that can help as well. Wow, a turntable. That is genius. I love that idea. Do you have any best practices for organizing our kids' rooms, artwork, and their toys? Yeah, so what I would say for kids, and I have three kids, and they are very different. And so I would really encourage parents to work within your kids' personalities. And what I mean is that there's some kids that are going to be naturally more you know, organize and want their things all tidy. And then there's kids that, that maybe won't fall in that category. So I think having some standards that work that are relaxed enough for different personalities is important. And then in, in kids' rooms, I really recommend having places to put memorabilia away. So if they have things they want to keep, like keepsake items, you've got a bin or something ready to go so that that way you're just kind of ongoing sorting things as life happens. It's also helpful if you've got kids that are um, moving along in, in clothing sizes. So maybe having a donation bin in the closet or a hand-me-down bin, whatever the case may be. And then for artwork, I really recommend setting up, uh, there's these memory box systems or keepsake box. So you can just take a file box and do a file folder. They usually come in 25 packs and then you can just do everything preschool through high school one file for each. And that can work really well for all the eight and a half by 11 papers. And then, so my kids each have one of those. And then I have a bigger bin in their closet for like bigger artwork or, you know, the trophy from a sport or what have you. So that way it's all collected for them. And then when they go on their merry way, they can take all their things with them. And what about toys? Even for people as young as those who are new parents with newborns up to Maybe like you said, you have your oldest is in college, so up to when they're leaving the house. Yeah, and one thing that you know you're going to have a lot more toy management when kids are younger, because I will say once they get older, you know you move into a different season for sure. It's more tech and and different things. But with toys, I would say really in general, less is more. I think kids sometimes have way too many options, and their their room or their playroom just is almost chaotic, and it, it makes them it makes it hard for them to play. So I would really streamline as best you can. You can rotate toys, have toys in stores that you pull out and kind of rotate through. 
And then one tip I have that I find myself sharing a lot with parents of younger kids is anything that has a lot of pieces, so Legos or games or especially art supplies, I was very intentional with keeping those things a little more contained where I would have could be the gatekeeper on them. So what I mean is not that you can't have any of those things out, but the more of all that stuff you have just out and available, the less it's going to be able to be kept picked up. And again, the novelty can kind of wear off. So I think sort of having things up higher to where the a parent has to then access it and, and approve it for the right time of play or what have you can really help. Because again, it's just giving a little more of those boundaries And then you can also really coach your kids to pick up an activity and we put it away as opposed to just keeping everything out all the time. And I want to circle back to the kids' rooms or their closets. How much do you involve your children in that process, especially when it comes to the point of getting rid of some of their things? Yeah, and that that will kind of depend, I think, on personality because I have – you know, again, each each of mine are so different. Like I would say both my girls, like they're really easy. They get rid of stuff really easily. And my son, not so much. So I think you want to factor in the child's personality and and how involved they'll be. And there's also, you want to be sensitive. If one of your kids has a lot more of that sentimental tendency, you want to honor that as well. And one thing you can do is maybe you're getting rid of some things, but you're not sure if they're going to really want to let go of something is you can always box it up and even just label it as like, you know, check this check back in six months, because sometimes we think something is really memorable and then we put it away and nobody mentions it again or vice versa. So I don't think you want to be in the situation where you get rid of something that's cherished, you know, and then you can't, can't get it back, but giving yourself sort of a buffer of time can help with assessing that as well. Ooh, and I wonder how that applies then to the artwork. If we take that a step further, let's say someone even wants more minimal artwork. Do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, and and one encouragement I would have is that I will say the kids' artwork, it does slow down, thankfully. You know, I will say, like, I feel like when my kids in preschool, I was like, how am I going to keep up with all this? But as they get older, they don't bring home the same quantity. But one thing you can do is sort of keep more on the front end and then when you're maybe on an annual basis adding more things into the file box or into whatever system you have, you can sort of do a reassessment because sometimes what was important when a child was four, when they look at it again when they're eight, they're like, oh yeah, I don't need to keep, you know, (laughs) six of the same picture or whatever it might be. So I think sometimes it's okay to keep a little bit more on, on the beginning and then maybe checking back. And like one example, this is for my oldest child who, um, is in college. She has this big box in our storage room because she was going to be a teacher and she just changed her major. So where I'm going with this is she has this huge box of all these future classroom supplies. And so I told her, I said, Hey, next time you're home, we need to kind of reassess that box. Cause this is huge box. And I'm not going to say she has to get rid of everything, but I want to now look at it with fresh eyes because, you know, five years ago it made sense. And now I don't know that it's in that same priority level. That's exciting too. When you think about it, because I wonder if she doesn't see a need for it, if there's someone she knows who is becoming maybe a first-time teacher, that could be such an incredible blessing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's the cool thing is that you can think about how to repurpose things. And and again, I, I, I'm always kind of questioning when I work with clients because I think people will think things are important. 
and then they've been sitting in a box somewhere for, let's say, five years. And so it's really asking, is it really still a value for me or could it be more of a value for someone else if I'm just storing it? So it's just a really good way to look at it. I want to take a moment to say thank you. You are the reason our team gets to delight in this work, and we appreciate each of you so very much. If you're benefiting from the lessons learned and applied from the Savvy Sauce, would you take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? Five-star ratings and reviews help us reach more people around the globe, and that promotes our goal of sharing joy. So join us in that endeavor with your valuable feedback. Thanks again for being here with us. Regardless of children living at home or not, I imagine that the paper trail is an ongoing struggle for all of us to stay on top of. What's your wisdom in that area? Yeah, I would say paper is definitely something I see as a very common challenge for most of my clients. A few tips would be, I really recommend going digitally wherever you can. Everyone has a different comfort level there, which is understandable, but you can really do a lot digitally this day. And one tip I have is to set up a separate email address that's maybe just for like household or more like those utility <laughs> emails or just in other words, the emails that aren't as important, but you can have everything filter to that. So you're not necessarily having to process it regularly, but you know, all your statements are coming into that email address. So, you know, electing to go paperless is a great way to just really cut down on the paper. And then secondly, is that gatekeeper principle again of when you're picking up mail or when you're bringing home a magazine or a flyer or what have you, is to try to touch things once in the sense like if you're bringing home a magazine, then maybe it goes in the magazine holder. If you're bringing in mail, you go through the mail and you recycle everything you don't need. So just really being intentional to touch it as you bring it in and then put it in its place. And that can really help sort of just streamline the paper process if it's done regularly, then it usually doesn't get as overwhelming. And are there any other parts of the home I've overlooked? So what I would say, what I see is a lot of challenges with garages and storage rooms, because I think what we tend to do is overlook those because they're the catch-all spots. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes we sort of just keep pushing them off and then they keep getting more and more cluttered. Just as a general principle, I would say for anyone is to think about their home and all the different rooms and really on a regular basis. And that could be once a year or what have you, but really just sort of assessing each room and making sure that you haven't just let things <laughs> completely go. Decluttering is something that really can really be done on a regular basis and will really just help keep all of the organizational systems better maintained. You've mentioned a few really thoughtful questions. Are there any other questions we could ask ourselves as we're looking at decluttering our garage or that storage area? Yeah, I think it's really looking at the big picture of your life. Like if you're looking at your garage, I mean, the garage slot is not an exciting place, but if you happen to pull your car in and walk through that space every day, is it adding to like the quality of your life or do you feel like you're tripping over things and you can't find things? So sort of asking what, what you want is the big picture of just that space. And, you know, what I want to highlight, the reason I mentioned garages and storage rooms is that they tend to naturally store things just because of the types of spaces they are. But what I see a lot with clients and homeowners is that when we don't know what we have, we end up then buying duplicates of things and we can't find things when we need them. And so if you can really use your storage rooms effectively, it's going to save you time and money just naturally. But it'll if they've gotten out of hand, it will take 
time to obviously reset them, but there can be a lot of benefit by really creating a calmer storage space. Whether you're walking into the storage room just to pick up something or you're coming through the garage, it's going to add some more peace in your life. And you'll also, like I said, save time and money. So I feel like it's just a win-win all around. Those are very worthwhile pursuits. And when we look at any part of our home, do you recommend any specific routines for ongoing maintenance? Yeah, I would definitely say keeping decluttering and purging as a part of your lifestyle, if that's important to you, because we typically keep bringing things in and we want to equally be taking things out and and doing that intentionally. We want to make sure we're you know, handing things off to other people that will benefit them or recycling things or whatever the case may be, but really coming up with sort of a rhythm and a routine. And that could be, you know, like I said, maybe it's once a year you do each room or you have each child do their closet once a year. It doesn't have to be that you're doing it all the time, but just that you have a a check-in. And then also I do think a weekly reset on some of your highly used spaces. So like the pantry, as I mentioned, it could even be that you unload that you bring in everything from the car once a week. So you're just basically so much of organization is putting things back where they belong. And so keeping that resetting mentality in place will keep all the systems better in place. And do you find that your clients usually have a harder time getting started or maintaining their system? I would say getting started is usually the biggest challenge. I typically sort of have clients that fall into two different camps. So there's the clients who are maybe somewhat naturally organized, but they just are lacking the time. And so, you know, they don't necessarily have have the hard time getting started, but they just don't have the time to do it. But then I have clients in the other camp who they will tend to just feel so overwhelmed. And and it's, it's so interesting when we're working together, I can just sense their stress and their, the emotionality around it, because it it can be a very daunting process. And um, that's the part that I love the most is coming alongside someone and sort of, well, encouraging, but also comforting them that this is overwhelming, but we're going to do it, you know, step by step. And so I would say if someone feels that sense of overwhelm, that is totally normal. And um, again, that's where having somebody else alongside you can be really helpful because, you know, that's what I do is I just keep, I kind of keep them on task and give them kind of the step-by-step because it can be really hard to like, you can just look at it and just feel like, I don't even know where to start, you know, and there's that zigzag tendency or they just want to, you know, almost stop because it's just seems like too much. I can see where you'd add so much value there. You have a very calming presence. Well, thank you. I've actually been told that which is funny because I have talked to other organizers. It's, we're all obviously different, but um, I talked to one organizer. She goes, oh, I'm the opposite of calm. <laughs> I thought that was, <laughs> but the beauty is, is that like there's different organizer personalities for different personalities too. Oh, that's a good point. So regardless of what our personality is, there's hope for each of us if this is one of our priorities. Yes. What would you say are some of the pitfalls to avoid from relapsing back into a lack of organization? So the first I would say is not shopping intentionally because you can, for example, do a whole reset of your closet and really dial in your wardrobe. And then if you just start shopping again and just bring in more pieces, you might just sort of reset the whole (laughs) cluttered situation in the closet. So really being intentional about what you buy, why you're buying it and where it fits in your home is is a pitfall that you can avoid by really being more focused on your shopping. And one thing I suggest is to um, use like, for example, your notes application on your phone. So 
like I'll find for my wardrobe, I'm like, oh my goodness, I really don't, I like, I only have two pairs of black socks. I need to get some more black socks, whatever. I'll make a note of that on my phone. So then that's what I'm shopping for. Not the cute shirt that's on sale. <laughs> not that I couldn't maybe wear the shirt, but I really don't need the shirt. I need the socks. So just sort of thinking that way through, um, as you know, whether it's light bulbs or whatever the category is, you're keeping track of that. And I think the other pitfall is not really allowing for time to maintain your home. You know, if, if your time is stretched, then again, that might be where you delegate or you get the, the family more on board, but you have to, you have to create some time to take care of the things in your home. And this all seems like such an important lesson to pass on to our kids as well. And I can see the value in getting them started from a young age. So do you have any other recommendations for how we can involve our children in these tasks of decluttering? Yeah, I think it's a great thing to model and to also have conversation around it because you'll probably have, like I said, different personalities of kids that you're working with, but just really honoring what things are important to them, but then also trying to teach them you know, really breaking down, I think an important core value would be to talk about need versus want. Because if we really focus on that, that can dial in a lot of our tendencies to maybe accumulate. So I think talking and then involving them as much as they can, or as much as they're able to, or like I said, if you have a child that's really sentimental, it might be harder for them to let go of things. And then sort of working within that is, is, is appropriate too. But I think we, we model a lot as parents. And one thing I'm always um, just sharing in general to, to parents is that more is caught than taught. So if you model a life of intentionality, if you model a life of being purposeful in what you buy and how you, you use what you bring home, your, your children will pick up on that naturally. Do you have any other tips or encouragement to share with us? I would just say, don't be hard on yourself if you're feeling overwhelmed um, there's always the potential to improve your situation. And, um, you know, it really comes down to time. And one of my favorite things to say is that often we'll talk about motivation. And I had a friend share with me, she goes, you know, it's not really motivation, it's really discipline. And I thought that was just really powerful. Because if you want a more peaceful home, if you want less clutter, if you want to be less of a stuff manager, then you'll want to dial in some more discipline. That is a really good paradigm shift, and it just reminds me of bringing Jesus into the process and that the fruit of the Spirit, really one of them is self-control, which I think of as that discipline that you're talking about. And when we invite him in, I can see him doing more than we ask or imagine with this process. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, I think, the peace that he wants us to have. And our things should be valuable to us and they should add to our life. But if they're taking away, then that's where we really need to sort of ask the questions. And I think seek to have more self-control so we can have more peace. Well, Morgan, you've given us so many great actionable steps that we can now apply at home. But you would also be a great person for people to be able to reach out to if they're local to you. Or even globally, where can people access your teaching online? Yes, so my website is morganizewithme.com, and I have blog posts there. I have 
um, all kinds of resources. And I'm on social media. So people can find me pretty much going to the website's the best way. And then they can just, you know, follow however best suits them. And my two books. So my first book is called Take Back Your Time. And my second book is called Your Hospitality Personality. And there is a page on my website that also links to those two books. Wonderful. We will link to all of that in our show notes to make it easy for everyone to find you. And you know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? So I want to share a practical tip that I think anyone could start doing immediately, which I think is always encouraging. So I'm going to, in the organizing world, I'm going to talk about doing a one minute win. So that just means putting things away. It's hanging up your coat, carrying in your coffee cup from the car. If you're headed upstairs, grabbing something to go with you. So just really thinking of what's one, what's one thing I can do in one minute to help keep my house moving forward. Oh, I love that. That's memorable to a one minute win. I just think it's so valuable to hear how another mom keeps up with these daily tasks, which are required to help us keep our homes running smoothly. And you've inspired us with purpose and supplied us with how to make this actually happen within our homes. So Morgan, thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring, Him for me, so me for Him. You get the opportunity to live your life for Him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community 
that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.